So uh, are we going to start this? Well, first, will you tell me your name? My name is Franco Magnani. Where were you born? In Pontito. Pontito is a tiny town in Tuscany, built along the side of a mountain. The town's buildings are all made of stone, constructed hundreds of years ago. It sits at the end of a long, winding road, the highest thing around. Franco was born in Pontito in 1934, when people got to town on foot or with a donkey. What was your favorite time of year in Pontito? Oh, the sprint. <laughs> All the uh, fruit trees, you know, you can see like a new life, and a lot of birds emigrate to nest in, in, in Pontito. Once we asked him about Pontito, he couldn't stop describing it in surprising detail the littlest things that happened more than 75 years ago. How we used to go up in the mountains to look for mushrooms. How we liked to take care of baby birds by bringing them inside, playing bocce with the priest in the church courtyard. And the, the Sunday, you can hear all the bell in, uh, you know, all the other village. You remember hearing the bells? Oh, I, I used to play the bell. I used to go up to the tower. I used to be the altar boy. <laughs> the church sits at the highest point in the town, and Franco told us that he used to climb to the very top of the bell tower and look out over the valley and the fields. Franco remembers growing hemp, which would be sewn into sacks to collect the chestnuts that were everywhere. He remembers drying the chestnuts and then grinding them up with his mother into flour for a special kind of bread. He says that a whole room of the house was dedicated to drying the chestnuts. Was your mother a good cook? Oh, yes. I missed my, my cooking. What was your favorite thing that she would make? She used to make a tortelli. A tortelli is like a, my mother, like an angel. His childhood sounds like a dream. The landscape was beautiful. The town was beautiful. Nothing is flat. Houses and shops nestled up into the crook of the mountain. Franco says they didn't have much money, but that it didn't matter. Everyone knew everyone else. They were happy. And after World War II, everything changed. Franco remembers the day the German soldiers arrived, in 1943. He was 10 years old. He watched them setting up camp in the mountains around the village. He told us that he didn't know what they were there for, and that at first, it was exciting. So many new people. He was interested in the construction, watching soldiers push cannons uphill. But Franco says he began to realize that only the children thought the arrival of the soldiers was exciting. The adults were afraid. And then one day, a German officer came down to the village to talk to the priest. He said that Tomorrow, uh, when you have the mass Sunday, tell everybody you got to leave it, the village. So, that's, the, so the Nazis basically it, it, kicked it, everyone out of town. It, 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 right. They hid in a nearby village while the Nazis took over their town. 
The American army eventually pushed them out, and the people of Pontito learned that it was safe to go home. But when they got back, they found that Pontito was not how they left it. The Germany went in and they sacked He went inside the house and, 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 and tried to find anything he can take. And they throw everything in the street, you know, all the parts and pants, all kinds. look like a... <laughs> How did your mother react? Well, <laughs> we said, we got to start low again. We got to start. Franco, at 10 years old, told his mother not to worry. Well, I said, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something when I'm going to grow up. I want to do something for you, for, for the village. He made his mother a promise. He said, I'll make Pontito for you again. And he did. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Franco lived in Pontito for a couple more years. Then, at 12, he went away to school in Luca, the big city nearby. He says he talked about Pontito constantly, so much that the other kids at school started calling him Pontito. I, I mentioned uh, many times in uh, a beautiful place. Uh, uh, forget about Luca. Pontito is the best. So I really, uh, I don't know, I really missed my village. After he finished school in Luca, Franco moved around Italy trying to find work. I got to get out and try to making some money to support my mom, my sister and brother, you know. He ended up taking a job as a cook on a cruise ship. He wanted to see the world. He was thinking about Pontito less and less, hardly ever. He'd been all over Europe and the Caribbean, but there was one place that interested him most. I have in mind for many, many years to go see the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> He moved to San Francisco. He was 31 years old, working as a cook. He got an apartment, and he made a life. Then he started to get sick. No one could explain what was happening to him. High fevers that he couldn't get rid of, bad headaches, seizures. He was losing weight. Franco's doctor couldn't figure it out. He told Franco to rest. But every time Franco went to sleep, he had dreams about Pontito. Extremely vivid dreams. More vivid than any other kind of dream he'd ever had. It startled him. And then these visions of Pontito started happening during the day as well. So you you started seeing Pontito in San Francisco when you were walking down the street. Oh, You'd have these oh, visions. Oh, yes. Yeah. Something had switched on inside Franco's mind. Images of Pontito were everywhere he looked, and they felt real, like 3D. He says he could turn his head one way and hear Pontito's church bells, smell the olive groves. If he turned his head the other way, he could see the ivy growing up the wall near his childhood home. He says that if he put out his hand, he could feel the stones of the wall. His family thought he was possessed. They said he wouldn't talk about anything else. 
He wanted to go home. And uh, I said, Franco, you made a big mistake. You can come back now. If you are going back, I don't got no money, nothing. It's a shame. So I, I, I got panic. His immigration status wouldn't let him go back to Italy and then return to San Francisco. He felt stuck, not just in California, but also with these overwhelming images in his mind. He didn't know what to do. He felt like he had to get them out. And I start sketch, I start painting. I have one next to the other, one next to the other. I said, wait a minute, Franco. <laughs> you know, gotta go with that. I can paint Pontito anytime, and you see that I can see. He would paint all day. The amazing thing is that Franco had never really been interested in painting before. He'd never taken an art class. And now, because the images he was seeing around him were so clear, he says that it was almost like he just picked up the brush and traced what was already there. Can you describe your first painting? Oh, my first painting? Of Pontito, can you describe your first painting? Oh, it's my arms. The front is my arm. The Pontito of Franco's visions and of his paintings is perfect. Pontito, before the German occupation. His house, before the Nazis. And uh, is it four steps? And is it in a, in a right, is a letter wall? And my mushrooms to have a old plant, this, beautiful. <laughs> well, you, you remember it all so well. You remember how many steps there were. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, this, this was a, <clears throat> what he making me very excited about. When he finished that first painting of Pontito, of the house where he was born, he sent it to his mother. He says... She was so happy to see the house the way it used to look. Oh, Sir Franco, you're so beautiful. You make him homesick. And you make him homesick. So she made me really happy because, you know, she can be able to see it's like exactly like the, the house, you know, like the real house. House, you know, the painting. It looked so real. Right, yes. So this is my first painting. He'd followed through on the promise he'd made to recreate Pontito for her. But no one understood how. Visions of Pontito kept coming to him. Pontito before the war. And he wanted to preserve and protect them somehow so he kept painting what he saw. He says sometimes his friends would see a look on his face and say he didn't look so good, that he looked sick. I can just see Pontito, and like, I don't know where I am. It's like if you dreamy. I said, well, Franco, you got to go to work. And then I come back in the normal, <laughs> you know, like uh, you dreamy and uh, you, you wake up, same thing. He says sometimes he'd paint a detail and then realize it wasn't quite right. He'd get frustrated when he couldn't make the canvas look like what he saw in his mind. 
He felt compelled to get it right. He says he felt called. I used to spend the night time, many times, because no time in the day. And there used to be more silence. For the most part, Franco just painted the village itself, the church, his favorite barn door, the stone path leading to his house. There's almost never anyone in the scenes. How did you decide what parts of Pontito to paint? Oh, it's, it's right, right, piazzale, il campanile, la chiesa, eh, my arms, eh, il vescovato, la porta di sopra, and uh, uh, and the land, you know, up the, in a mount, I did as a church, and uh, il ponte alato. And uh, one is La Chiesa di Sotto, the church below. Yeah, well, this is the memory when, when I start a uh, uh, paint. He, he come he, he, he come back to me. Oh. In 1988, the Exploratorium in San Francisco created an exhibit about memory, and they included Franco's paintings. They sent a photographer to Pontito to take pictures of the scenes he painted to see how accurate his memory was. It was astonishingly accurate. When you look at the photographs alongside the paintings, it's eerie. There are some distortions. Sometimes things look a little bigger in his paintings. Perhaps because he's drawing on memories from childhood. Things look bigger when you're a kid. The neurologist and author Oliver Sacks heard about the Exploratorium exhibit and became very interested in Franco's story. Now, the resemblance was, was uncanny. This is Oliver Sacks speaking with Studs Terkel in 1995. But Franco had not seen his village for 30 years or more, and so he was somehow uh, retrieving apparently very, very early memories uh, and was haunted and obsessed by them, but putting them down very accurately. And this whole business struck me as very strange. Now, I think it's very odd and complex. I think Franco has a sort of, uh, of epilepsy, as it were, an epilepsy of memory with, with temporal lobe epilepsy in a strange way. This yeah. can sometimes incline people in a sort of mystical direction or, or can incline them to verbosity or, or compulsive drawing. It can sometimes ruin a life, as Tourette's yeah. can. But also, yeah. uh, sometimes it can be held together in a creative way and heighten a life, which I think it's certainly done with Franco. Oliver Sacks wrote about Franco in his book, an anthropologist on Mars. He describes Franco's paintings as not only an exercise in memory, but equally an exercise in nostalgia. Not just an exercise, he writes, but a compulsion and an art. Sometimes I don't understand why myself. I've been to many, many places, but I, I, I don't know why. But you think about it all the time. Oh, yes, all the times, yeah. And uh, now, now I don't know. Uh, Sometimes uh, it come back to me to move him back over there, but I said, 
is impossible because it's too late now. I, I know your man no more. We're, we're going to Pontito. I'm going to go to Pontito next week. What next you, week? Yeah. Isn't that oh, crazy? Are, are you going? I'm going. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, boy. We told him we'd go and see the places that we had talked about and then report back. He told us to make sure to visit the house where he grew up and to please figure out a way to climb to the top of the bell tower where he used to ring the bells. We said we would try. Support for This Is Love comes from Shopify. If you've ever had a dream of starting your own business, Shopify can be a great place to start. Shopify is an online platform that lets you sell things online and in person and makes it incredibly easy to accept all kinds of different payment methods, figure out how to charge taxes, how to charge shipping, and get detailed, top-down views on how your sales are going. Some of your favorite brands already rely on Shopify to power their online shops, like Rothy's, Brooklyn, and Allbirds. But you don't need to be well-established to use Shopify They'll help you at every stage of your business and have tools to help people who are just starting out, like their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic, or their built-in marketing tools that can help you create and analyze campaigns. Shopify grows with your business, no matter how far or big you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash thisislove, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash thisislove now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash this is love. The drive up to Pontito is breathtakingly beautiful. It's also pretty dangerous. We turned off the highway and got onto a one lane dirt road. As we climbed the mountain, there was a steep drop on both sides. We were all pretty quiet in the car. If we'd gone over the side, well, there goes the show. The road is tiny and like a death trap. Now turn sharp right and continue to follow the uphill Pontito. Now turn sharp left and continue to follow the uphill Pontito. I don't know if we're supposed to drive on that. Franco had given us very detailed advice on the best way to get to town. We did not write it down or listen to him, and so we got lost. Okay, so I'm in a park. Um, can I, does the car go on something like this? Okay. Well, Pontito's tiny, right? I think I'm in a park right here. I think we're at the end of our drive-in. We decided to try to find our way on foot. Franco had told us that there was only one person to see in Pontito, his friend Renato. We thought he meant that Renato was the best person to see, but it turned out that Renato was the only person in the town. Renato doesn't speak a word of English, but we brought a friend, Lindy Russell, who's fluent in Italian with us. She saved the day. He took us to a cafe. 
it's not really accurate to call it a cafe because the town is so empty. Renato used keys to open it. He turned the lights on, and then he got behind the counter and made us espresso. My name is Renato. I am uh, one of the few residents who lives in the village all year. We are here at the Circolo Pontito, which is our town meeting place. There's a piece of paper taped to the wall, a graph, showing the population decline in Pontito. So in 1921, there were 700 people. And in 2017, there are 28 people. Sugar. No. The cafe has some soccer pictures on the walls, a small television. But the centerpiece is one of Franco's paintings. Look at this painting. Do you see that window? That window is the room where Franco slept when he was a child. Now let's go see the house. This is one of the pictures he painted. This is another. And this one is a different view. So this is another view of a painting that he did. So he, he pretty much did the whole town. He painted all the village. So the Pontito, in Franco's mind, is that of his childhood, when there were sheep, donkeys, and so many people, 600 or 700 people. This is where he lived. Do you have keys to everything in the town? Here's the church. So here we are, climbing up the bell tower. It's like no one's been up here for about 400 years. This is the church we promised Frank we would see. And now we're at the top of the bell tower. Oh, it keeps going up. I don't think they would let you do this back home. Seems like a real liability. Wow. Okay. We're at the top. And I have to get down by noon, or the bells are going to start ringing, which are bright above my head. Okay, I'm going to get down before the bells start ringing. It's very steep. And you can see all of Pontito. There's a real race against the clock here to get down by noon. And there's the bell tower in the church that Frank wanted us to see. We've done what he wanted us to. We went up in the church bell tower and we saw the house where he was born.
Franco Pontito Magnani, il pittore della memoria. Arrivederci. Hi Franco, it's Phoebe Judge. I talked to you a couple of months ago and I told you that I was going to go to Pontito and meet Renato and we did and I wanted to talk to you. Hello? Hi Franco, it's Phoebe. <laughs> you went nowhere? We went. <laughs> we did what you told us to and we met Renato and we went to the bell tower and we saw the house where you lived. Oh yeah. We we walked all around the town, and we went into the little cafe, and we saw a picture of you, and we saw um, some of your paintings, and then we walked all around, and and you were, you're right. I mean, well, first off, nothing was open in Pontito. It, it no, know. it was it was all closed down. I know it's dying down. I know. Franco now lives outside of San Francisco, in a trailer that he's outfitted to look like Italy, with a stone wall and a fountain and a sign that says Pontito. There's even a mural of Pontito in the bathroom. His house is filled with paintings of Pontito, all over the walls, stacked in the closets. He's losing his eyesight, so he doesn't paint much anymore. He jokes that now he makes abstract paintings. He's 85 now. He's said that he would like to return to Pontito to die, to be buried next to his mother. But he realizes that's not likely. Sometimes I think our memories of something are better than the real thing. Oh, yes. Oh, is the memory, I think, is the most beautiful the memory, the memory is the, I think, is a very, very uh, private thing. You can't be able to share it with somebody. <laughs> you know, even, even though you're having trouble with your eyes, when you close your eyes, can you still see Pontito as you've always been able to? Oh, yeah, I can see it all the time. See, you know, it's just uh, what you call it. Uh, it is like um, an obsession, you know. He never, he never stop. It's no matter if you, uh, if you, uh, I don't see or I cross my eyes. And, uh, I dream Pontito all the times. I don't know why. I don't know why. I, I don't know. He would lean forward, and his pupils would dilate, and he would stare at something, and perhaps move round. And he would tell me then that a three-dimensional sort of holographic model of Pontito had risen in front of his eyes. And then he started to paint uh, what he could see so clearly. Uh, an amazing uh, power of reminiscence. I wish I could be over there. You know, but I can't. And they saw one foot over here and one foot over there all my life. <laughs> this is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. 
audio mix by Johnny Vince Evans and Rob Byers. Special thanks to Lindy Russell, Sarah Shu, and Nico DeSanto. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of This Is Love. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to see her work and Franco's paintings. We've also got a link to his website in our show notes, francomagnani.net. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collection of the best podcasts around. Thanks very much for listening to this season of the show. If you liked it, please introduce the show to a friend. It's the most important way to help us grow. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Next time, if I got an interview, I got to have a glass of wine. I can tell you a lot of stories. Okay, good. Well, next time we do it, we'll both have a glass of wine. <laughs> I can tell you a lot of stories. Oh, my God. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.